Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and this is episode 14 of season 4. And what a story we have for you today. A few weeks ago, on April the 22nd, at Bristol Crown Court, Michael Black was sentenced to over 10 years in prison for defrauding over a million pounds from independent retailer Bathroom Village while working as its financial controller. He siphoned money off for several years by setting up multiple bank accounts and spent the cash on, amongst other things, extending his home in Halitro, a snow machine, a drone, hotel rooms and floodlights and an umpire's chair for his tennis court in the grounds of his house. The fraud ultimately led to Bathroom Village being forced into a pre-pack administration just to survive. But survive it did, and now, as that sentence is passed, it is a thriving business once again. We get the full story from Bathroom Village Managing Director Paul Mason, so trust me, you really don't want to miss this one. But first... KBB Review is, of course, the leading source of kitchen and bathroom industry news, opinions, interviews, analysis, products, and cute dogs in showrooms. But do you get our email newsletter? It goes out twice a week, and it's totally free to subscribe to, and you'll get it all delivered straight to your inbox. All you need to do is go to kbbreview.com and click on subscribe. Right, so let's meet now Paul Mason, the Managing Director of Bathroom Village, who's joining me down the line. Hello, Paul. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Now, as I said, Paul, you've got a real tale to tell here. But before we get into those details, let's get the background first. Can you fill us in on Bathroom Village, the business? Yeah, so Bathroom Village, we're based down in the southwest. We've got stores in Bristol, Wellington and Exeter. And we've also got an e-commerce platform, which we sell to the consumers through our website also. Yeah, so how long have you been going for then? Well, Bathroom Village originally started in 2010. And yeah, so we've been going now for, well, 12 years almost. And very successful you are too. They are very nice and very big, substantial businesses you have there in those three stores. But this story of, well, now infamous Michael Black, who a couple of weeks ago, at the end of April, he was sent down for over 10 years for basically defrauding you and other companies out of well over a million pounds. Correct. I suppose it's very easy, isn't it, to look at these things in hindsight and go, oh, my God, we were conned out this money. We didn't understand what was going on. We should have spotted it all. But this is a long period of time we're talking about here, and it's such a dripping, building catalogue of things that he did. So let's go right back to the beginning of it. When did you first meet him? When did you first employ him? We took Michael on in October 2008. The person that we had looking after the finances left. So we went through to an agency, we wanted somebody who was SEMA qualified. They introduced us to Michael and we took him on um, a couple of weeks later. So he was—he seemed quite an astute guy, knew exactly what he was talking about. I was more of a front end sort of person with our chairman, Steve Hawkins. So we were looking after the front end, dealing with the showrooms, dealing with customers. And Michael, basically, he, when we took him on, he said, look, guys, you said, just leave the finances to me. He said, you know what you do on the front end. He said, you know, bathrooms. And he said, I know finances. So he almost had an open book, really, from when he first started. And in that period, you were doing very well. I mean, you were growing. You, the, the company was expanding. I mean, there was no sort of signs there were that things were wrong because you were managing a successful business. Exactly, yeah. And I think, well, as, as the years were going on, we were improving on the business in 2012, 2013. Like I said, hindsight's a great thing when you look back on certain situations and when you think back on certain questions that you asked. And he was very good with the answers, 
with a smoke and mirrors, really. And I think he was very good in in manipulating certain situations where when you casted some doubt on what he was doing, he was very good in turning that round. And I think when you look back on it, I think that's the gutting thing is that it was probably, when I say alarm bells, it was little alarm bells that we probably should have jumped on, but but we never did. Like what, Paul? What, what were those alarm bells? I don't know. When we were hitting when we were hitting credit limits with suppliers, well, we were told we were on stop, but he said, oh, no, we've only hit a credit limit. Brilliant. Okay, can you pay it? Yeah, and he gets it paid. But what we were finding out subsequently that he just wasn't paying the bills. And we had a few meetings with some suppliers, not that I'll mention because we don't deal with them anymore. And some of the suppliers would bring up certain circumstances and then Michael would turn around and say, yeah, but we're waiting for a credit note for that return. And they're like, oh, right, okay, right, yeah, we make a note of that and do it. And then all of a sudden, then everything everything goes quiet and then just carries on as normal. I think the biggest issue that we had was, was I'm going to take it, take it forward a little bit now, probably to 2016, is where we were growing quite substantially in 2015, 2016. Business was really, really good. And we were still hitting credit limits and maybe going on stop with people. The biggest eye-opener that we had was when Michael, it was his first time he had a two-week holiday in August 2016. Always before that, Michael would only have a one-week holiday. Now, if a problem arose, say, on the Tuesday or the Wednesday of his week holiday, you then would think, okay, that's all right, Michael's back on Monday, we'll speak to him then. However, when he took this two-week holiday, a problem arose on the first Monday. And if it was, don't take me back to what the problem was. It was just something small. However, that opened up the can of worms because we were thinking, well, Michael's not back now for two weeks, so it's not like that can be put off. So we delved into it a little bit more. We had a discussion with a couple of people within our business and actually thought something's not right here. Delved into a little bit more. We looked on the bank and realized that certain payments weren't adding up. So during that two weeks then, we'd done, I want to say a thorough investigation, but we just looked into things a lot more and realized that there were some irregularities in those first couple of weeks. When Michael came back off holiday, we needed to find out as many passwords, as many processes that Michael was doing himself before we could sit down and hit him with it. Because we thought, well, if we sit down with him, all of a sudden, each and own leaves, we're in a bit of grief, if, if I'm honest. So we had to work with Michael for five weeks after we found out that there was a lot of irregularities. Now, on the last day of September in 2016, we just made sure that everyone got their wages that month that Michael had done the process. So I then drove down to Wellington with Steve and we tackled Michael with it. We had an hour and a half meeting with Michael and we said to him, look, Michael, we can work this out, but have you got anything to say? And he told us he was disgusted by the allegations that we'd made against him. So that puts so much doubt into your mind. And I think for the next couple of weeks, we were thinking we've made a massive mistake. We've looked at something and we've we've gone so far left field and we're in the wrong. We were almost made to believe that we were in the wrong and he was in the right. Michael was suspended on his meeting at the end of September. So then when he came back in October, he resigned from the business. So during the next probably three or four months, we looked into the bank accounts more and more and more. And you just seen that there was so many regular payments made out. So for argument's sake, he would put on there a £6,000, £6,232.54 pence payment to Heritage Bathrooms with the reference numbers. However, when you looked into it, when we got all the details back, 
even though there were payments to Heritage during that month and went to Heritage legitimately, afterwards, when we looked at certain payments, Michael had set up payments in that went to his own bank account that was set up for supplier payments. It, it got to the point then where we couldn't work with Michael. And in the end, then we thought this is just getting too big now. We've got to go to the police. Yeah, as it's come to light now, we you know, we have all the list of things that he was paying for. His, his home, cars, foot holidays, really odd things like uh, an umpire's chair for his tennis course and all this kind of really odd things, which are really salacious details of it. But the obvious question here is, why did you not get the police involved earlier in this? What, well, what was well, stopping you from kind of dialing 999? Well, it was only about two to three months after we found out about Michael, we actually contacted the police. It wasn't a huge amount of time because what we didn't... At, at that point, we were still waiting for... All the statements and things like that. So we were delving into a lot of stuff because obviously we're still trying to run a business every day as well. And we were trying to look into everything that Michael had done. And then we hit Christmas. As soon as we came back from Christmas, Michael just wouldn't work with us because we were trying to find out as much information as we could from his side. And even though it seems like a long time till the police got involved, it wasn't because Michael left the business he walked out on the business, I'm going to say maybe the 15th, 16th of October. So uh, the first week that we came back in January, we contacted the police. However, when you report things like this, you don't just walk into a police station. You've got to fill out all the details online. So uh, the email back that we had from the police was, somebody will be in contact in the next 60 days to arrange a meeting. On day 57 or 58, the police contacted us, then booked a meeting in for six or seven weeks after that. So by that point, we were into April 2017. So we sat down with the police at that point, went through what we'd found. Bearing in mind, we, we'd collected so much information and we knew that the figure was so much bigger than what we thought when we initially sat down with Michael in the September. And, and was he still denying it all at this point? Yeah, he's still denying it all, yeah. yeah. So, they, oh, yeah. so we, we sat down with the police in the April, but what we didn't realise was that Michael then had started a new job in the February that year. Michael then left that business in the May or June of 2017 because they'd also found out that Michael had taken money off them. But during that time period, Michael had given us £22,000 back. However, we found out that the £22,000 that Michael had paid us back, he'd taken off the next business that he started working for. Subsequently, we found out that Michael had nicked, I think, about £60,000, 65000 off the business after us. They went straight to the police so things started unraveling quite quickly in 2017. So Michael's house was raided in June 2017. All his assets, his wife's assets and bank accounts and things like that were all frozen in 2017. What conversations were you having in the business at this point? I mean, it must have been personally, it just must be absolutely shocking to come across those kind of numbers. And somebody that you trusted with the most fundamental part of the business, the money, had just been doing all this stuff. How were you feeling when you were just sitting around talking about it? Myself and Steve were obviously in in a very, very dark place. I think when you look at 2016, Christmas 2016 was probably, I would probably say it was probably one of the lowest parts in my life personally, and it even got to the point where I thought there's no other way out than than and and it did I had died suicidal thoughts over that Christmas period because I didn't think there was any other way out at that point because I think for a long while I couldn't even look in the mirror because of the humiliation because I think I think me and Steve were blaming ourselves for the situation how we how we allowed it to get to that point because we'd put so much trust into somebody that we actually worked with on a daily basis. And even our worst nightmares, we never even thought it was going to end up being what it was. It, it took us to a very, very dark place for a, for, a, for a long time. And I think our trust levels 
in people closest to us were were non-existent and you'd question everything around you. And I mean, absolutely everything around you. It was very difficult, very, very difficult. I can feel the emotion coming back with it now, even after all this, all this time. So yeah, it was very difficult, very difficult. And I think anyone who runs a business can sympathise with all those feelings. You put your heart and soul into something and someone's taken it away. When did it really come to light just how much, just, just when they were adding it all up, when did it really come to light just how much he'd taken? In between reporting it to the police and actually sitting down with the police because we got all the bank statements, we got everything through and then we done an internal investigation which Jack, um, Steve Sonny works for the business, was absolutely superb all the way through it. He'd done an investigation for us whilst we were tr- still trying to run the business. And it was, I would say it was at that point, it was, it was between probably January 2017 and March 2017 is when we, we realised the full extent of the fraud. Right. And what was that eventual number, do you know? Well, the thing is, that, like the police Tyrone said, is that you've got to try and get the proper things that you know 100% that Michael done. So we actually think it could have been in the region of 1.4, 1.5 million. However, when you stripped out all these things that could have been contentious if it got to court or there could have been an element of doubt, when you strip all that out, it, it, it worked out to probably just around 1.1 million. And how does a business even cope with, with that amount of money just being taken out of it? I mean, when, when that's gone, at the same time, you're still selling bathrooms while all this is happening. Yeah. So from a business perspective, how do you cope with that money being missing? It was difficult. It was difficult. I think we had the support of our suppliers. We were open with everyone. We told them exactly what the situation was and they carried on supporting us, which was fantastic. But I think, unfortunately, as time went on, we got to October 2019 and realised that we couldn't carry on, we couldn't sustain it. We had to do a pre-pack administration. So myself and Steve sat down with every single supplier face-to-face and told them exactly what was happening within a couple of days after that. Because we thought, we don't want to do it on an email. We don't want them to find out through any sort of media channel. We took it on the chin after everything that we'd been through. We sat down and, and spoke to everyone face-to-face and told them, which was just as hard. Yeah, I bet it was. It's almost comical, isn't it, that you, you went through all that at the end of 2019. And then, of course, lo and behold, what comes along in March 2020, only a couple of months later, is the pandemic. And so, you know, you're getting, you're getting rocked over and over again by this. I mean, at that point, you must have been thinking, well, what, what can we do right here? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was, um, especially during the first lockdown, it gave myself and Steve a lot of time to evaluate what we want to do and how we want to do things going forward. We looked at that, a lot of people around us who supported us, and I think quite a few of the suppliers who'd also supported us. But also then we decided on supporting a lot of the brands where we actually make margin and there's no aggro. The problem is, I think Steve used the analogy quite a few times over the last couple of years, is that we were walking with a broken leg for so long. And then when we'd done the pre-pack administration and we'd come out the other side, you'd realise that actually... I don't want to say we could pick and choose who we wanted to deal with because I think that's a bit of arrogance. But I think we, we decided that if we were having any grief with any suppliers, that they had to go because it wasn't worth dealing with them anymore. I'm not going to name any names, but... And also as well, margin came into it. We wanted, we, we wanted to like the people. We didn't want any aggro for any of the staff. We wanted fast delivery and we wanted to make a decent margin on it. 
Yeah, I mean, you wanted normality, didn't you? Of course you, you, you wanted something to run smoothly for once, yeah, yeah, which is quite understandable. But all the while this is going on, there is a court case happening, there's investigations going on, there's police coming in, you've got to give lots of statements as well. So, I mean, that's a very time-consuming, a constant thing in the back of your mind all the time. It is, yes, yeah. And and that's the thing, it, it, it did detract us a little bit from away from the business, but... It was just a difficult time. I think we had the support of the staff. We we were open and honest with the staff all the time. And I think if it wasn't for the support of our families around us and the staff, we wouldn't be here now. I think I, I can't even quantify the how the support of everyone has, has helped us to get to where we are now. So April 22nd, Bristol Crown Court, the sentence comes along, 10 years, nine months in prison. Were you there for that? I was, yes. What was it like sitting there in the court? Well, what I'll do is, if I can, I'll just go back a little bit from that. So basically, um, when we went into the first lockdown, it was supposed to be um, the first court case, but then that got pushed back then, I'm going to say to probably June, I'm going to say May or June in 2020. So that went to the magistrate's court. So the magistrate's court then referred it to the Crown Court straight away. But because obviously the second lockdown and things, everything just got pushed back. So then the, us and the police then were building up for a trial. So the trial was supposed to start, I'm going to say in February, February this, February this year, I think it was. And there was going to be a five or six week trial. But the amount of work that the police had to put into this because of the size on it, it even went from the CPS to the Metropolitan Police in London because of the magnitude and how much money Michael had taken. So it just takes up to another level. Once you go for a million pounds, it then goes up to another stage. The defence barristers and the prosecution barristers had been working tirelessly to um, dot the I's and cross the T's just to make sure that there was going to be no issues when we go to trial. We turn up um, to court on the first day and Michael pleads guilty, um, let's say for 10 out of the 13 charges. I can't remember how many there were. So he pleads guilty. We then set a sentence date, or the police set a sentence date then for March. In March, we turn up to the court, and then it's been delayed then by another five weeks. So um, so we turn up onto the court then. Fast forward ahead to April the 22nd this year. We turn up into the court. We could see Michael in the waiting area with two bags. So he was under no illusion that it was going to be a custodial sentence. So then we, we sit in the court, which was extremely intense. The emotions of the last five years, you could certainly see, was, was in the courtroom. The prosecution, first of all, were doing their summing up, which took about an hour and a half. The harsh reality of Michael's theft came to a head, really, when the witness impact statement, which they read hours out first, then they went on to the next business after us. And unfortunately, one of the owners of the business after us took his own life. That, that that was extremely tough to take in the court. And I think it just it just showed the severity of the situation that we were in. Because we were we were embroiled in it for so long, you don't realise how big the situation was until something like that gets read out. Then the emotion did start pouring out quite a little bit in the court. And I think uh, myself and Steve and Jack as well were, were extremely upset to hear that Michael's actions pushed somebody to the point that they actually took their own life. Yeah, I was... It was gutting, really, absolutely gutting to hear that. But what goes through your head? Obviously, you're pleased to see the results, but clearly you're not getting the money back. You know, it's been an awful personal experience for you. What are you feeling in that moment? It was quite a hollow hollow victory, really. And um, like a lot of people, who like to have a glass of wine or something and a couple of drinks on the weekend. And 
I made a point that I wasn't even gonna I wasn't even gonna have a drink. I thought I just wanted to try and just take everything in what's happened with the situation. And I think it was difficult to sleep on Friday night because your mind was just racing and racing and racing. And you think the the, fun, the funny thing is on Friday night, which I think in, until you're in that situation, you wouldn't be able to feel it. But on Friday night, I I felt so empty, and it's like it was almost yes, a weight had been lifted. You're always going to have stuff to worry about. You you want to make sure that the business is successful and things like that. But it just felt like like the worry we'd had for the last five years had just gone, and it was it was quite it was quite a strange feeling to feel that empty with what had caused you so much so much worry and upset was all gone. You just didn't know how to handle that. It was quite strange. And how do you think it's left you in terms of your levels of trust for people? You know, when, you, when you're dealing with partners, new staff, suppliers, whoever it may be that you, that you deal with as a businessman, how do you think that's left you in how you view them? Now is totally different. For a good couple of years after the situation, it made you question everyone around you. But now it's totally different. But I think the lockdowns helped that. I think even though even though the lockdown has been horrific for a lot of people, the lockdown helped us to come to terms with things. It allowed us to, uh, I don't know, look around us, reevaluate everything, because we'd had so much time. And I, same thing again; it's difficult to describe because it's just there all the time. Is is something that builds up inside you, and hate builds up, and I think you a lot of hate builds up in in your mind, in your body, and things like that. And I think you've got to let that go. Otherwise, it will ruin you. And I think the lockdowns were so good for us individually to be able to come to terms with that. And I think a part of me thinks if we didn't have those lockdowns, we were just then gone for another year, then into another year, then into another year. But I think it it just made us realise, it just gave us that break that we needed because of all the stress that, that we'd had for the four, five, six years beforehand. Yes, and that's such an interesting perspective to have on it, isn't it? That just full stop at the end of it, that little time to think, that little pause made such a difference. So look, let, let's move on. Now that you haven't got to think about that, what is next for you? What is next for Bathroom Village? I think it's trying to build a successful bathroom company. And I think what we've done over the last couple of years, I'd like to think, is build up um, a lot of trust, I think, again, with our suppliers. The suppliers that we deal with now are with us for a reason. One, because they want us to be with them and, and vice versa. We've built up our own brand as well over the last couple of years, and that's gone from strength to strength, which is Union Bathrooms with our sixth brochure have just been launched today. And and I think it's it's a lot about going forward. It's just not wheel spinning. And I think we got into, we got into I think, a bit of a rut when the Michael situation happened, is that you just needed to get money in. And that's not the case anymore. It's more about enjoying what we're doing, making some money and not just paying suppliers 20, 30, 40, 50,000 pound every month and then not making the margin. And I think what we're doing now is we've got some good suppliers with us now. We've had some good stock deals with people so we can make fantastic margin on our products. And I think that's that's what we're, we're doing going forward. I think we're rewarding our, our guys well with our own brand, with the commission and bonuses that we're offering. And I think it's just... I think it's just to make things easier for the team, I think, because I think it's, it's supply issues has been so difficult over the last couple of years. And I think we've, we've concentrated so much on having the stuff in stock for fast delivery that we've got, 
We've got hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of stock sat in a warehouse to try and get faster delivery for people. We've got six, seven hundred shower trays in the warehouse. We've probably got 15 ranges of taps, um, like basin mixers, bath fillers, everything in stock in our warehouse for fast delivery. And I think that's what it's all about going forward now. If we're not making the margin on the product, we don't want to be selling it. It's a remarkable story, and it's as upsetting as it is unbelievable. And but as I said, it's a, it's ultimately a tale of survival. And you know, fair play to you and everyone there for, for for getting through it and coming out of it with a successful business. And so I, I hope it continues for you, and you have the sort of period of of resilience. But also, you know, without getting overly analytical about it, there's a period of healing going on here as well. Of course, yeah, no, no, I, I and I can feel I can, I can feel that even even. Even doing this with you now, I think like a lot of emotions come back where you think you've you've put some of these emotions under a rock that you don't want to reappear. But I think when you delve into the situation over again, they come back. But ultimately, the last thing I'll probably want to turn and say on it is that I think it's the support of the the people that we've had around us. Um, it's the support of staff, and I think myself and Steve would like to thank obviously the suppliers that have supported us, obviously our families and onwards and upwards hopefully well look paul that's a perfect place to finish it so thank you so much for your time i'm sure an awful lot of people get an awful lot of inspiration from this story actually as well as being uh, surprised by it so well done to you and we'll speak again soon thanks a lot andrew thank you very much well, what a story. And well done to Paul Mason from Bathroom Village there for having the bravery to tell it. His motivation, I think, is to warn other businesses about what can happen if you don't constantly check what you're doing, and he should know. But also, what a tale of survival and determination to keep going to. Fantastic. Don't forget that the best way to follow this podcast is on an app such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just search KBB Review, or one word, and you'll find us. Please leave us a nice rating and review too, as it really encourages others to give us a go. See you next time.